you have a new spirit week two. And as we're going to consider in just a moment, you have a new family in Christ. And that's our theme for today, our new family in Christ. And Jesus speaks about this new family in Mark chapter 10, beginning at verses 28 until verse 31. So let's read God's word together. Simon Peter began to to say to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And we'll finish our read there, our reading there. Well, if you take a look around the room right now, and even as you speak to people before the service or after the service, you will quickly realize that there is great diversity in this room. Isn't there? A lot of diversity, cultural diversity, economic diversity, um, background diversity, many different types of diversity. For example, another one is that you'll hear about family diversity whether they're present family or their upbringing in a family, you will hear people tell you about their happy families, while other people will tell you about their broken families. You will hear people talk about present fathers and, and other people talk about absent fathers. You will hear people uh, talk about companionship and others about loneliness because of the lack of or, or, or the lots of siblings. In this room, there, there is great diversity from our family. Because we all come from diverse family backgrounds. And in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31, Jesus talks about another diverse family that many of us in this room today belong to. It's not a natural family. Rather, it's a spiritual family. A family formed and united by Jesus' blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of his people's sins. You may not have realized that this was the theme of our passage when we read it. So what I want us to do this morning is to, is to work slowly through the text again to notice two truths about this new family. And after doing so, we will answer two questions by way of application. So if you're taking notes, that's where we're going this morning. We're going to work our way through the text, two truths by way of explanation, and then two questions by way of application. And my prayer this morning is that you, whoever you are, will leave belonging to and delighting in this new family. Today's text comes at the end of a scene in Mark's drama. And the scene opened with a question from, from a rich young ruler. He, he came to Jesus, he, he bows before him, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after an initial response, Jesus told the man to, to sell all that he had and to follow after him. Mark tells us, however, that the man went away sorrowful. He went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Jesus then used that opportunity to to teach his disciples who were there with him how difficult it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. 
When Jesus had finished his lesson, Peter, as we've been familiar in Mark's gospel, in typical fashion, comes up to Jesus and says, See, literally behold, we, the disciples, we have left everything and followed you. Peter wanted Jesus to, to, to not only know, but to at least acknowledge that the disciples, unlike the rich young ruler, had in fact sacrificed much to follow him. Back in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, Mark described how Peter and his brother left their nets, their career, to follow Jesus. Mark also described how James and John left behind their father literally in the boat at that moment and left behind their family fishing business to follow Jesus. Truly, the disciples, four that we've described already, had left everything and followed Jesus. And the same is true of disciples of Jesus today. The same is true for, for many of you in this room today. A disciple of Jesus is a person who has trusted Jesus as their savior and now follows him as their leader. If you're a genuine disciple of Jesus this morning, then you have left something behind to follow him. You may not have realized that, but you have left something behind to follow him. You've sacrificed potentially your career a lifestyle, a habit, a dream. Some of you have even sacrificed friends and family to follow after Christ. And yet there are some in this room today, like the rich young man, who were not prepared the cost, uh, to count the cost of following Jesus. And just like this young man, you can leave today sorrowful because discipleship is costly. It costs something from all of us. And the disciples, on the other hand, well, they counted the cost. And as we've been describing, Peter made this known to Jesus. He says, Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. Do you realize this? Can you see this from our perspective, Jesus? And Jesus, being as gracious as ever, replies to Peter, in verses 29 to 31, in verse 29, uh, Jesus first lists some of the sacrifices that some of his disciples have made. And in verse 30, Jesus describes how their, how, how their sacrifices will be repaid. The same words in verse 29 are then repeated by Jesus, once negatively and now once positively. And then in the final verse, Jesus provides a summary statement for the whole episode. Verses 29 and 30 are, are of particular importance to us this morning because they describe the losses and the gains of following Jesus. Notice how verse 30 begins. Jesus is contrasting it and he says, who will not receive a hundredfold now? Listen to that again. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in the present time? Does anything surprise you about that statement? It's the word now, isn't it? We often think that our, our gains will be in heaven, in the age to come, in eternal life. And that's absolutely true. And yet Jesus says here that there will be some gains now. And in the text, the word now is actually emphasized by the phrase in this time following. It's redundant. It's not necessary. Now is enough. And then it says in this time. And then it's even more emphasized by the contrast with the age to come. Jesus is making it absolutely clear to his followers and to us as Christians today that there is blessings. There are blessings and there are gains 
for his disciples now. The loss his disciples suffer will be repaid in this life and in the life to come. So, immediate question comes, well, how how are we blessed in this life? What are we gaining for sacrificing all for Jesus? What will followers of Jesus receive in this life that makes up for their loss? Is Jesus teaching like some uh, some false teachers out there that, uh, that 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 Jesus's followers will will all become wealthy? Is that what Jesus is saying here? No. Remember the context. Jesus has just told his disciples how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And yes, there are certainly rich Christians in this world, and that's okay. But the Bible never promises that Christians will become materially rich in in the moment that they start following Jesus. Is Jesus perhaps teaching that all his his followers will be be kept safe in this world? That they will have a trouble-free life when they follow him? No. Right in the middle of describing the repayment Jesus says, with persecutions. Did you notice that? With persecutions. Elsewhere, Jesus tells his disciples that, that they will suffer because he suffered. We as Christians are not greater than our master. So we must go through many trials and tribulations, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Acts fourteen twenty two. Jesus is not promising that we will be wealthy and that we will be healthy when we follow him. Doesn't solve our question though, does it? What will followers of Jesus receive in this life that makes up for their loss? Well, notice again the words used in verses 29 and 30. They're all associated with, with community, aren't they? Houses, the place where we live, brothers and sisters, siblings, mothers, parents, children, offspring. And lands, property, possessions, they're all communal words. In other words, followers of Jesus will receive relational blessings in this life for the loss that they have suffered. Blessings experienced in a community, in a new family. Jesus is talking here in this passage about our family in church. A family formed and united by his substitutionary death on the cross. And that's our first truth today. As Christians, we have a family in the church. Fellow Christians, we are blood-bought brothers and sisters. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the church in 1 Timothy 3.15. It's on the screen behind me. Paul tells Timothy that he is writing so that Timothy may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What's that? He tells us, which is the church of the living God. The church is described as a household, as a family. If you're a Christian today, Ephesians 2.19, we looked at it the last time I preached, you are a member of the household of God. You are a brother or sister to another follower of Jesus. It's a fact. It's truth. Period. Full stop. That's it. You are a brother or sister. We are family today. I was even thinking about singing that song. We are family. <laughs> no, I was like, it's too cringy. Not going to do it. But there we go. We've done it anyway. But that, that's, that's the truth. We are family, aren't we? 
And in this context, Jesus' teaching encourages those who, who have left family behind to follow him, and especially those who, 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 who have obeyed Jesus' call to be fishers of men, to, uh, to go to distant lands to serve him. And yet the rest of the New Testament reveals that all who belong to Jesus belong to this new family. Therefore, every Christian has the blessings of belonging to the church. Sadly, though, not every Christian experiences the blessings of belonging to a church. Let me say that again. Every Christian has the blessings of belonging to the church. But not every Christian experiences the blessings of belonging to a church. You see, although the church is a universal family, one big, humongous, diverse family, the the, the the dynamic of the family is expressly seen and experienced in a healthy local church. Not just by attending a local church, but by belonging to a local church through personal membership, by making a covenant with one another. And some of you who truly follow Jesus, let me say that again, who truly follow Jesus, well, you've been at River of Life for, for many months, even a year but you're still not a member of a local church. In fact, you don't see the point in membership. Well, this is the point. We, in this local church, are family. We're not perfect, just like your family isn't perfect. But that doesn't mean that you stay away like a distant step-sibling. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's in the local church, only in the local church, that you will fully experience the gains promised here by Jesus. Blessings of belonging to a family which genuinely cares for and supports every member. So fellow Christian, if that's, if that's penetrating your heart, join a local church. It could be us, we would love to receive you, but join a local church through personal membership. In fact, in God's providence today, come to Discover River of Life and hear more about joining this local church. Because there are blessings and privileges to membership. For example, your, your siblings may have distanced themselves from you and even your family since, since you became a Christian. You're the wacky uncle or auntie who teaches the Bible to your kids. Well, in a healthy local church, you have brothers and sisters who will support you through thick and through thin. Your parents may be far away from you because you're here in Europe. Well, in a healthy local church, you have mature believers who will come alongside you as spiritual parents. Older men who will teach younger men how to be self-controlled. Older women who will teach younger women how to love their husbands and their children. It's in the local church. You may have even been forced out of your house or land for, for, uh, for following after Jesus. Well, in a healthy local church, you have a new family who will care for you and provide for your practical needs. The 19th century bishop 
of Liverpool, uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, he's, he's on the screen behind me, described how Christians shall find in the communion of the saints new friends, new relations, new companions, more loving, faithful, and valuable than any they had before their conversion. Their introduction into the family God shall be an abundant recompense, reward, for their exclusion from the society of this world. And Ryle's so correct. It's what Jesus is teaching here. Yes, you will suffer a loss when you follow Jesus, but you will gain a new family in the universal church. Blessings that, that, that are expressly seen and experienced by personally belonging to a local church. So that's truth number one. Well, just as we move on to truth number two, did you notice any difference between the list described by Jesus in verse 29 and then the next list, the losses and then the gains? Listen carefully as I read the verses again. Try and pinpoint the difference. Jesus said, I truly say to you, There is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Did you notice the difference? Tell me. What's missing? What's missing? Yeah. Did you notice it? The word father is not repeated in the second list. Why? Well, many commentators suggest that that Jesus is making the point that the title father belongs to no one in the church because our father is in heaven. It's interesting, Mark chapter 3, at the end of Mark chapter 3, I took it out, but I'll refer just back to it. At the end of Mark chapter 3, Jesus is asked, um, who he, he's, he's told by the crowds, look, your, your, uh, your family want you. And Jesus says, who are my, uh, who, who, who's my mother, my brothers and the sisters? And then Jesus says, it's those who do the will of God. And he includes everything, but he doesn't say the Father. It's the same here in Mark chapter 10. No reference to the Father. In the first list there is, second list there's not. Because he is making the point that we have a colorful family because we have a heavenly father. Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 9, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. And this truth is proclaimed uh, throughout the New Testament. Jesus taught his his, uh, disciples to pray. Matthew 6, verse 9, Our father in heaven. The apostle tells us in Romans 8, 15, that the Holy Spirit helps us cry, Abba, Father. The apostle John writes in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. If you are a Christian today, you are a child of God. And since you are a child of God, you have a heavenly Father. And if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves, We are so familiar with this truth in our songs and in our prayers and even in our preaching that we forget how astonishing it is for Jesus to teach his disciples to address God as their father. Speaking to to disciples, Jewish disciples, back in the Old Testament, um, God is only used, sorry, the 
the term father is only used to describe God in a, in a general sense. He, he is the father of the nations. And yet Jesus here invites us and instructs his disciples uh, to, to use it in a personal sense. To call him our father. Our father. It's a possessive pronoun. He is our father. There's a 20th century German theologian who suggested that, that behind Jesus' use in Matthew 6, 9 is the Aramaic word Abba. Whether he did or, or, or didn't doesn't really matter because the Apostle Paul, as we've already heard, uses the exact same word in Romans 8. Abba. Abba was one of the first words a child would say. It's a word with great warmth and affection, reverence and intimacy. Some like to say the word daddy today, but I'm not, I'm not too sure because in some contexts, this is not the best word, but it's warm, it's, it's affectionate, it's great intimacy with God. It's a word that Jesus used himself when he addressed the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching us as his disciples that we have a heavenly Father who is his Father. It's mind-blowing. What's our Heavenly Father like? Well, back in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, verse 6, Moses provides us with a description of our Father. Moses proclaims these words about God, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. That's who our Father is. And our Father in heaven is far better than the worst and even the best dads in this world. No one even comes close to him. Our Father in heaven is merciful and gracious. He doesn't reward us on the basis of our work. Rather, he gives us the very things we don't deserve and doesn't give us the very things that we do deserve. This is so unlike our earthly fathers who only often give us affection to their children when we've earned it, when, when we've done something to get it. Our father is also uh, slow to anger. Unlike earthly fathers who, who fly off the handle at the smallest things, God is slow to anger and patient when we fail continually. Our father, our, our father in heaven abounds in, in steadfast love and faithfulness. He doesn't decide one day just to get up and and leave the family behind. Rather, he continually showers us with his covenant love and remains faithful to us when we are unfaithful to him. Our Father in heaven forgives. He doesn't hold our sins against us and remind us over and over again about our shortcomings. Rather, he forgives. And he keeps no record of wrong. Truly, Our Heavenly Father is far better than any earthly father, the worst and the best of them. And if you're a Christian today, not only do you have a family in church, but you have a Father in heaven. And that ought to make you rejoice because this is who we are. This is our identity. But how? 
How do you and I as a Christian have a father in heaven? How do you as a Christian have a family in church? How has this all happened? Well, John tells us in in John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, he writes, But to all who did receive Jesus, the word, who believe in his name, the word gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you understand what, what John is saying here? You're not born into the family of God, nor do you pay your way into the family through church tax. You receive a new family only when God, in his grace, adopts you, brings you, invites you into his family. When does God do this? When, when, when does God adopt us into his family? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians three twenty six. He writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Notice the first few words. For in Christ Jesus. The phrase refers to an unbreakable union. You see, God by his spirit, spiritually and physically unites, connects us to his beloved son, Jesus. And as a result of this union, all that is ours becomes Jesus's and all that is his becomes ours. Therefore, by virtue of being in him and him alone, Christians are adopted into God's family. That's how Christians are children of God, not because they are born into his family and not because they're better looking than everyone else in this world. We as Christians are adopted into God's family only because we are united to the true son, Jesus Christ. A union which God alone forms, as Paul says at the end, through faith. Peter's statement in Mark 10 helps us understand what what that phrase, through faith, means. Do you remember how Peter said to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. The original tense of of the word left refers to to a specific point in time when that action happened. And Peter is referring, as previously mentioned, back to, uh, to that episode on the Sea of Galilee when Jesus said, come follow me. And he and the other disciples left their nets behind to follow Jesus. It's recorded in Mark 1. You can go back and, and, and read it there if you want to. Verse 16 of Mark 1 comes directly after verse 15, a verse which where, where Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. And it appears that Mark intentionally placed the two scenes, Jesus' summary statement of his ministry and the calling of the first four disciples, intentionally placed them side by side to illustrate that repentance and belief involve leaving all other allegiances to follow Jesus. In the text it's clear, uh, repent is paralleled by leave and believe is paralleled by follow. Because that's what genuine faith involves, isn't it? True faith involves repenting, turning, 180 degree turn, other direction. 
It involves repenting from your sins and believing in Jesus as the one who died on the cross for your sins and was raised three days later. True faith involves leaving all other allegiances behind. It's costly. And following Jesus as your only saviour and your only Lord. So let's pull all that we've learned in that question, how, together. We receive a new family by being in Jesus. It's positional. And we are united, connected to Jesus by God through faith. And true faith involves repentance and belief. Can I ask you then, are you in Christ today? Not your neighbor, not the guy sitting beside you. Are you in Christ today? Have you repented of your sin and believed in Jesus? Have you left all other allegiances behind? And are you presently following Jesus as your only Savior and as your only Lord? If you have, by God's word, I I encourage you and assure you that you belong to Jesus. Therefore, you belong to the family of God. If you're in Christ today, you have a new family. And we can rejoice about that. You have a new family in Christ. Brothers and sisters in church and a heavenly father. If you aren't in Christ today, the Bible's clear, you You don't belong to this new family. There's a trend out there that that everyone says God is is the father of everyone. And and now a new exchange, Mother Earth, that somehow we're all connected to God. But the intimate sense, the personal sense is, is you don't belong to this new family. And please don't deceive others. And don't deceive yourself. You are not part of this family if you are not in Christ. But you can belong to this family today. As I said right at the start, you can leave today belonging to this family by repenting of your sin and believing in Jesus. So if that's you this morning, will you do that right now? Will you respond to to Jesus like he did with, with the disciples in the Sea of Galilee, calling you to follow him? Will you leave behind your sin and everything attached with it and follow after him? Let me be honest, you will experience losses. It's going to be hard. It's going to be costly. But as Jesus says, in him you will also experience gains in this life and in the age to come. Well, that brings us to our second and final question. What now? It's specifically addressed to to believers, to brothers and sisters in Christ. What now? What does this practically mean for those in Christ? Well, it means that we are to live in light of these truths. As children of God, we should pray to our Father about everything and at all times. As children of God, we we should... Seek to to act like him in thought and in word and in deed. As children of God, we should be confident that nothing, absolutely nothing, will separate us from our Father's love in Christ. 
and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should live like a family. In a healthy family, family members love each other even when things get hard. So can I ask you, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you go home and and talk badly about them when you're at home? I'll admit, I do that sometimes. (laughs) It's difficult. Yet the word of God continually challenges us. In a healthy family, family members spend meaningful time with one another. So can I ask you, do you do that at River of Life? Or do you come in late and, and leave straight away? I know there's, there's public transport things. I was late this morning. It's all difficult. But do you intensely desire to be with your family on a Sunday? In a healthy family, family members ask one another for help and advice. Do you do that at River of Life? Or do you continue living the Christian life like a lone survivor? I can do this all on my own. Would a stranger leave our service knowing that they were in, present in, a family gathering? Would an unbeliever know that you have a new, diverse family in Christ? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. In fact, there are family members who you and I will and already do struggle to like because our new family is so diverse. Yet we still have a duty from the New Testament to live as a family because we are a family. A duty which the Holy Spirit helps us with. He is, as one writer says, the spirit of the family who gives us yearnings toward our fellow family members. He is the spirit of the family who creates with us these yearnings toward our fellow family members. The Holy Spirit then helps us live like a family by helping us obey the 59 one another commands in the New Testament. You heard that correctly. There are 59 one another commands in the New Testament to teach us how to live as a new family in Christ. It's a lot. So as we close... Let me read some of these commands to help us not only be hearers of the word, but also to be doers of the word. Listen as I read and then we'll close in prayer. Live in harmony with one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Encourage one another. Do not speak evil against one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. And above all, love one another. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word to us and Lord, we want to thank you that we can call you our Father in heaven. We thank you because it's all that Jesus has done for us. God, we want to thank you that you have united many of us today to Christ and therefore we have these blessings of a new identity, of of a new spirit, and of today, of a new family. Lord, may we leave this place rejoicing in um, these blessings and seeking to live out uh, these blessings in the local church. 
we do confess that it's hard. We confess collectively that we so often fail and stumble, but we thank you that you as our Father love us and forgive us. And Lord, we ask that your Spirit may help us to live like a family, to help us to, to practically love one another, to forgive one another, to be kind to one another, so that the world, so that this city may see that we have been transformed by Jesus and that we are a new family in Christ. And Lord, for those in our midst who again are, are not inside of Christ, Lord, those, those who potentially have deceived themselves that they are followers of Jesus when they're not, Lord, we ask that by your spirit, you would, you would take the blindness and the deception away from their eyes and that they may see that they are outside of Christ, but today they can be in Christ by repenting of their sins and believing in him. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.